BGRT Gaming Podcast, episode 677, recorded on February 27th, 677th edition of the TD Gaming Podcast and 510th episode of Video Game Roundtable. I am TJ Denzer. I am Scott Dirk. And I am Jonah Fallon. The VGRT Gaming Podcast focuses on game news from around the industry. So, um, I've been playing two new games. Well, not new for a lot of people. Uh, first, I've been playing Settlers of Catan, the new version for console. It's okay. <laughs> it's just okay. Um... It has room for improvement, which I'm sure they will. Uh, the other game I've been playing is NBA 2K23, since they finally got it on Gamefly. Jesus it, Christ, have they gotten worse. Is the Settlers of Catan multiplayer? Yeah, yeah, it has online and offline multiplayer, yes. It's based on a board game, for those who don't know. It's one of the first Euro games that really hit it big here. Started with Settlers of Catan, then tickets to ride, and then it just took off from there. So, NBA 2K23, I can't believe how fucking stupid this game is. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and they finally gave the game away. They finally gave it away. You know what they want? They want to be Saints Row. Because I can't believe the amount of skateboarding that the game wants you to do in my career. It wants <laughs> you to do ollies. It wants you to grind. It wants you to do tricks on... Th- this is I'm an sorry. NBA player... <laughs> what am I doing this? And then, yeah. at one point, I have to wear a hot dog hat and go around telling people about this hot dog store. What the fuck? But is Jake from State Farm there to cheer you on? Yeah. <laughs> it is It is embarrassing. They finally gave the game. They want to have Saints Row. That's the only explanation. Because I feel like I'm playing a combination of Saints Row and Pokemon. And oh, by the way, the fact that they have a, a map of a city in your office and you're supposed to conquer regions? Really? Mm. NBA is taking influence from Ubisoft? Which we find out is a big mistake. Because one of the news items that I just posted that happened today is about Ubisoft. It's just mind-boggling how bad this is. And the predatory nature of the, of the VC, it's... If you read the um, if you read the comment section of the Xbox uh, store, so many one star reviews, one and two star reviews. People are just fed up. Unfortunately, they're not fed up enough. Okay. Yeah, because they keep buying it and then they keep spending tons of money on the Ultimate Teams thing. Yeah, here's the thing. <sighs> not only should you not buy NBA 2K24, but don't watch any streamers because those are the people who buy this thing. They're the only people who buy this, so that you can go watch them stream. I also downloaded um, uh, Madden, which is on Xbox Game Pass now, or at, at least EA Play. And I have to note, that is the current version of Madden that they put on uh, on EA Play. Which tells me not enough people are buying DLC for their like, or maybe they're just trying to get the last scraps of people. I haven't played it yet, I know it'll be terrible. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, yeah, like you say, they, they as long as they keep selling, they have little reason to improve or, or change their formula. Um, now, did you see the uh, trailer for EA's new golf game? I have not. Okay, I will say this. It looks fucking promising. It looks really, really good. And, of course, the thing that pops into my mind, well, of course they have to. They have competition from 2K. 2K has a golf game, too. Look what having competition does to the quality of a game. Hmm. Yeah. Remember when EA had competition with Konami for for FIFA and soccer? Anyways, um, tomorrow, uh, MLB the show debuts. I don't have that much uh, confidence in it. But at least since it's on Game Pass, I don't have to pay for the thing. Wait, a new MLB the show comes out tomorrow? Yep. Huh. Yeah. Doesn't feel oh, like it's been as advertised as usual because I don't really remember seeing much of it. Maybe I'm getting myself confused right now. Oh no, it's March 28th. Never mind. Okay. I'll but be... there is a game. There is a game coming out tomorrow, which I'm looking forward to. A lot of stuff coming out tomorrow that I'm looking for. So, um, anyway, <laughs> what have you been playing, TJ? I've been trucking along in Wild Hearts. I love that game. It's uh. It's it's very beautiful. It's uh, the type of Monster Hunter game I want, where it's not like every all the all the talent and grind and effort is still there, but like streamlined so many elements, such as like the the multiplayer menus aren't terrible, the 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 tools and items are not terrible, and it just feels fun to be in that world. Like I I, I love grind i actually love like even if i'm fighting a lot of the same monsters to get certain gear like i would in monster hunter it feels so much faster so much more satisfying and like doesn't frustrate me as much with all the silly and annoying and cumbersome controls i uh i really am i'm trying i'm trying to push my way towards like some late 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 game stuff and and get to like some of them harder the hardest hunts in the game. Okay. Now I remember what was coming out soon, um, and I'm wondering if you're interested in this. I know a lot of people are. Uh, are you interested in Wolong Fallen 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 Dynasty? I am a little bit. It looks neat. I uh, I don't know if I'm getting some positive gonna... feedback from people who actually played it. I don't know if I'm going to pick it up on day one, but it might be something I pick up after the fact, just to unless it's unless I work on it for coverage. For those who don't know, Wolong. Um, Fallen Dynasty is the new Souls-like. And um, I've seen it played. It seems a little jankier, like it's a double-A game, not a triple-A game. But it looks great, and it is supposed to be really hard, but fair. Yeah, I'm hearing that it had some performance issues on PC, but, like, console has been pretty good. And even though, and even the, for the performance issues, people were saying that it's still fun enough that it's like you they can look past some of this stuff how about you scott what have you been playing i've been playing octopath traveler 2 okay again so <laughs> what do you mean again it just came out just yeah i thought you're you playing the demo or 
Uh, yeah, I did play the demo, and uh, now I've gotten, and I was able to transfer my save to the main game. That's cool. And uh, I've been collecting, I've been doing everybody's chapter one. Um, I've gotten seven of the characters so far. And it's uh, interesting because a lot of the characters uh, like can do uh, a different action depending on the day or night. And some of them are, it's a little strange. Like you have this honorable warrior, uh, Hakari, who can, um, I think it was during the day he can challenge people to learn skills. But at night he can go around bribing people. So he can like, uh, just, I, cause I, I, there was one funny moment I had where I went into a merchant's, uh, house or store and I took out the money out of their chest and then immediately bribed them to get information from them. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, and then there's the other characters. The thief can knock people out during the night and, uh, steal from them during the day. And they get a percentage chance. And if they get caught, it's supposed to hit the reputation, but I don't see it happening as clear as it was in the first game. So it doesn't seem like you get as punished, uh, as you did in the first game. Cause you could just, like I said, the wizard or the scholar can, uh, scrutinize during the day. But then he mugs people at night, and there's, like, no uh, consequences for mugging someone. You, you, you mug them, and they could chat up with them like nothing happened at all. Uh, man, so it's... Uh, but uh, it's really been an improvement. The graphics have improved uh, immensely. I, I can't believe it has, but, yeah, they do a different camera now. When you do a maxed-out action, and the camera spins... And you see the character attack the uh, the monster, the boss, and now the bosses are animated. Their 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 uh, image, the pixel sprite is is animated, is animated, and even some of the other monsters and mobs get animated attacks as well. Um, and uh, you can do a limit break now with the characters. Uh, it charges up, and you get a special ability. Uh, so it's. They, they have a lot of improvements on the game, and I'm enjoying it. And if you like the first game, you'll probably love this game, too. My colleague was saying that uh, the, it's an early frontrunner for maybe best soundtrack of the year. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, Occupy Travel, the first one, took about 60 hours to complete. Look like it's going to be a long one for you here with this one as well? Yes, absolutely, definitely. And by the way, that's 60 hours in the main story. I mean, I, uh, according to uh, things, it's 100 hours for, if you're a completionist. Yeah, if you're doing all the side quests. By the way, uh, speaking of RPGs, I did get back into Darkest Dungeon. number The first one, not the second one. I, I thought I'd give it another chance, and uh, I'm getting deeper into it this time. What is it? I'm sorry. Darkest Dungeon, come on. <laughs> I'm no, sorry, Dungeon. I was distracted by something silly. But uh, <laughs> you're playing the first one? Yeah, I'm playing again? the first one again. Yeah. Well, I Have had the beat? second one, and I haven't I haven't started it yet. No, I did not beat the first one yet. The thing is, I started it, and I never got around to it. It wasn't that it was too hard. It was just that I just didn't have the time, and now I'm getting back into it. I understand that that last end of the first one is very, very, very brutal. I, I would like, imagine. <laughs> due to the fact that, like, the, the main boss can straight up kill off one of your characters. Yeah. And then once you finish the the dungeon, 
if you do finish the dungeon by some shred of hope, then uh, none of the characters that were that went in there that time will go back in there again. Um, I've also I've been playing Deep Rock Galactic as well, and uh, I've been mostly doing the engineer. So I got the engineer up to level eighteen. So I decided, you know, I'm gonna level up some of the other guys, you know. So I started to, I tried the driller, and the driller sucks solo because he has no real. I mean, he can use the drill to make tunnels, but he really doesn't have a good way to uh, traverse, you know. Eh, not not as good as the others, I would say. But the engineer like, has the best because all he does is shoot out platforms. You know. That's true. And I, that's why I love the engineer. With the driller, you have to learn how to make stair steps with the uh, drills and the walls. Yeah, and also just drill right through the walls, too. That's one thing about this game is that uh, I think the entire game revolves around the fact that everything is destructible. The entire level is – you can just create your own level if you want to just by using the dr- your fists. Um I will say this, though. Uh, with the driller, if I'm going to use a driller, I'm going to make sure that I have a way to get everywhere – preset so if i do say if i'm mining more kite i already have a way to get back to the drop pod yeah yeah i uh i don't know i like i i main the driller i like they're my favorite character because i like the drills and i like the flamethrower and i like uh yeah no matter what i play i play the driller because i like uh i like every i like their kit yeah, you you go on and like their kit. I do. <laughs> the engineer is my favorite. So so I mean like what I'm saying is that you figure out workarounds with some of that stuff because of, you kind of have to. Yeah. Um, I actually earned the SMG uh, to replace the shotgun. I'm okay with it. Uh, the only reason why I, I, I'm using the SMG now is because um, even though I maxed out the shotgun's um, uh, uh, loadout, I mean in terms of uh, the number of ammo you can carry. And it has a nice kick. Um, I think I like being able to just ping guys with the SMG. Yeah. It's okay. I will say this though: I do like the engine. I do like the driller's uh, flamethrower because when the big, when the big, when the big version of the creatures come out, he he says, "Oh yeah, well here's my flamethrower." Yep. And you really don't have to like target too much with the flamethrower. You can just throw it all around you because. It's not as if you, uh, I, I think you do get a little bit of damage bonus from hitting weak spots, but like the whole point is just setting them on fire as fast as possible. Yeah. I mean, meanwhile, and I, you probably like his axe as a grenade. I don't. I don't like having to throw the axe and retrieve it. I like the, I like the, uh, explosive charge, the, uh, C4 that he gets. Oh, okay. Um, I'm using, for the, uh, for the engineer, I'm using the last grenade. Uh, the first, his first grenade is just stupid. It creates a hologram of you that the creatures are never fooled by. Um, but I, the last one is like it just explodes shrapnel, and the shrapnel keeps on rotating until it, it finds something to hit. Nice. I will say this: um, I did get the power to charm um, the you know the grunts, but I found that um, when you're playing solo, it's not. It's not a very good idea because what happens is your your uh, robot will just shoot them anyway before you can even charm them. I mean, hmm. in multiplayer, it might be a better, it might be a good power if you're playing multiplayer and you don't have the the um 
if you don't have your little floating uh, machine gun turret. And also, ironically, by the way, um, one of my powers, of course, as the engineer is getting is building a turret, right? And there is an option you can upgrade it so that you can deploy two turrets, but I've never needed to deploy two turrets. Uh, I, I used a different option on it. For those who don't know, every single weapon has different levels of upgrades, depending on what level you are, and several upgrades for each level that you have to choose from, one of three. So, yeah, I haven't tried. I haven't tried the fourth one. I mean, I've tried the default one. Oh, I forgot. I forgot his name. And the engineer, of course. And now I'm try. I'm just leveling up the drill- driller to ten. And then I'm going to try the fourth guy, and then I'll probably go back to the engineer because I like. I like being able to create my own stairs. <laughs> nice. And oh, by the way, um, when you're when you're mining the morkite, you know, liquid morkite, and you have to deal with the pipes. <clears throat> screw it. I just create bridges with with the uh, thing. Just put the bridge all the way across. Just bypass everything and just put the pipe on that. Hmm. That's not a bad idea. I'll have to remember that one. Yeah, well, yeah, here's the thing. Maybe we should play uh, what's it called, Deep Rock Galactic, and you can have your little driller with his flamethrower. I'll have my. Uh, oh yeah, um, the uh, engineer does come with a grenade launcher as a secondary yes. weapon. Yes. So, but it's not it's not as effective as the flamethrower. <laughs> the flamethrower is just death to everything. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we we're boring Scott enough with our discussion of Deep Rock Galactic. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I'm just playing solitaire while I'm waiting. <laughs> so we're gonna move on to quick news. <laughs> uh, Valve lured forty thousand Dota cheaters into a trap before banning them in one day. Uh, today's ban wave is particularly large, but it's the only uh, latest action in an ongoing campaign. You know, what it reminds me of is when scofflaws get free tickets to a sports game, and it says you have to go here to pick it up, and then people just pounce on them. Says, yeah, you thought you were getting sports tickets? Guess what? Yeah, you have to pay these parking tickets. That is a like I, I don't. <clears throat> I saw this story, but I didn't look into fully how they tricked forty thousand people. They didn't go into it they, either. Actually, they didn't. I, I don't think they'd want to go d- deep into how they did it. Yeah, of course not. Like they don't want to expose their methods. Probably the same way they got people on the Lost experiment, where they leaked out a cheat, and if you did the cheat, it oh, would yeah. tag you as a cheater. And at the end, they said, well, out of the thousands of you that uh, did the cheat, only four of you didn't actually do that. Um, so, But in this case, they just uh, banned everyone that did whatever that cheat was, and then they just, yeah. Yeah. The everlasting yeah, I mean, gobstoppered him? Like an yeah, like a code. I think it's not like you go into the forum and say, hey, I got this cheat. Yeah. And okay. if you do the cheat, then you're tagged and it's it's automated system and it probably just, you know, sweeps them uh, all in there. So that's probably you know, it. It's an everlasting gobstopper situation. Yeah. You know, they actually did that with uh, organized crime. The government did um, because... A chat that that criminals and drug dealers, you know, from across the were using were was oh, that's right, I heard about that. Apple app. So the government came up with one, and they, they on these on these chats, they would just 
not even hide what they were doing. They would just record it all. You know, it's like, yeah, you just are telling everybody what you've been doing, and that's their evidence, baby. So, um, yeah. Uh, moving on, <laughs> Nvidia predicts AI models one million times more powerful than Chat GPT within ten years. Uh, I've been using Chat GPT a lot, actually. A, I enjoy talking to it. It's it's very personable. I, I enjoy talking to it, and one of the things is I'm writing a screenplay, and I've been at, I've been telling him about my screenplay and telling him what I'm doing, and he's making comments, and then I would say something. Well, what would this character say? And he would come out with ten things that a character might say, hmm. and they're all good. <laughs> Interesting. It is really powerful. That, by the way, that's why I don't know if you read this, but there's a sci-fi magazine, a small one. That said that uh, for decades, you know, they would have like 30 or 40 fake, you know, plagiarized stories. And now it's gone up to like hundreds of thousands of them because people are just using chat GPT to write stories for them. People are lazy. <laughs> that is funny. Like, it... it... On one level, like ChatGPT and stuff like that is interesting. It's curious. It's it's neat. On the other thing, on the other hand, it is unnerving how fast I agree. large companies are pushing to get their version of it out the out the door and integrate it into important things. Well, this is what I would love to see. Uh, imagine playing an RPG in which you have an intelligent GM or DM. Yeah, that kind of application is cool. You know, having a pen and paper game online and your and your DM is an intelligent chat bot, which is even more intelligent. I mean, the only reason why it's failing the Turing test for me is because it feels the need. And I think it's not because it's the AI, but it's being forced to say to summarize what it's talking about. It'll say, well, if you talk about an MMO, an MMO and um, multi- massively multiplayer online, uh, in parentheses, MMO, is a thing where blah, 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 you know, it tells you everything. And it's like, uh, you can tell that's being forced on it by the developer just to restate everything. Hmm. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how it continues along. I'm just unnerved by how. I think one of the things that bothers me about it the most is that like it's 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 large corporations trying to get in on a trend and when that's the case it's never anything like it's never about de- doing it responsibly it's never about doing it uh rationally yeah, it's, or feasibly. it's doing it as cheap as possible as cheap as possible and as like the, get on board and and make sure that our th- our version of that is out there yeah. I just uh, there's going to be a there's a bill that keeps on bouncing around which says that um all decisions made uh has to have human cur- curation in which uh an AI cannot make a decision without a human okaying it. Hmm. Because we see what happens on YouTube. I mean at least uh there is still that law that uh only a human can copyright something so there's no AI AI ability to copyright something because I know that that monkey with the the selfie was a big case about that, so I think this would apply as well that they, they wouldn't be able to copyright something in uh, an AI generated. 
Yeah, but like I said, the one thing I'd like to see is how it applies to video games and to have actual conversations that are realistic, uh, that are fluid. Imagine playing Mass Effect in which instead of choosing, uh, you know, a, a, a thing, you just write in what you, your character says and the characters react to it. Imagine a role-playing game that's like that. It'd be very interesting. Um. More people are playing Sons of the Forest on Steam than Hogwarts Legacy. Um, this is kind of dated because uh, the game, well, the co-op survival game is now available in early access and it already has 250,000 concurrent. It actually went live and it is making blockbuster sales. This is out of nowhere. I had not even heard of this a week ago. Wow. Yeah, like, yeah. This is, this. is I'm right there with you. Like, this game came out of nowhere. I had no idea that it existed. And then I saw a story, like, maybe two days ago that said it sold over one million copies for an indie. That is insane. That is absolutely insane. This is basically Cannibal Holocaust as an MMO or a live service game, really. That's that's all it is. It's Cannibal Holocaust. I don't even I, – I have no idea what that is. But, like – so for those of you don't know, it's it's yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a survival horror game. It's an open world survival horror game in which you're trying to find a missing billionaire on a remote island, and you're being attacked by cannibals all over the place, hordes and hordes of cannibals. So you have to do the usual um, survival stuff like build a house, start a fire, do this, do that, and fend off cannibals. It's mm-hmm. Minecraft for adults. <laughs> I will say this, though. Um, if you ever watch videos of it, it looks really good. I mean, when you're building a house, it looks uh, you're building a log cabin. It really looks like you're building a log cabin. Yeah. Oh, maybe it's like grounded for adults. Oh, wow. Some of this stuff is really pretty. Wow. Yeah, I think I'm going to call it grounded for adults. <laughs> that, that seems apt. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen this before. Wait, no, I remember seeing... Okay, is this related to a game that's just called The Forest, or is no, it a different no, game no, no, entirely different from game. that? This is a different game. It, it is similar to that. It's made by the same developers. Okay. And I'm just saying that this game has just exploded. Okay. <sighs> it makes more sense to it's still me. still in early oh, access. I thought it was released, but it isn't. It's still in early access. It, it makes a little bit more sense to me. Not that it, like, not the, the million-selling thing, but uh, this is a sequel to uh, another game that's just called The Forest. Anyway, it looks beautiful. Um, the construction, you know, everything looks realistic as far as video game is concerned, you know. When you're building your, your log cabin, it's like, you're not, it's not just, it isn't, like, teleporting there. It's like you have to lay it down and stuff. The character models are pretty good, too. Uh, moving on. Um, this is kind of predictable, but EA is already considering Dead Space 2 and Dead Space 3 remakes. Um, I know you love the uh, Dead Space remake, the first one. I played uh, the first part of it. And um, I, since I can't even remember what happened with Dead Space, I do know that Isaac Clarke was, was never talked in the first one, so that's that's definitely different. And the characters are not as edgy as they were before. And by edgy, I mean assholes. Mm-hmm. Now they're more human in their way they talk. They discuss things now. They don't hurl accusations at each other. And Isaac is contributing to the conversation. Go ahead, TJ. You were going to say something. 
Oh, I was just gonna say, yeah, the the female character, what's her name? She's not a cunt. Yes. <laughs> she's a she's a real she's a big jerk in the in the original. Yeah. And uh, all the way to the end, and uh, she actually has quite a few moments of of empathy throughout this version. Well, she's not hurling accusations and being freaked out about everything. She's being affected by the ship the same as ever, the marker, the same as everybody else. Yeah. So, like, there's moments of, like, her second guessing what she's seen, and then parts where she, like, loses track of herself and, and even before all that when you first get in this in the uh, in the station uh the station it's not like she's she's a lot more calm and and reacting to events rather than just being pissy all the time yeah and i like I, isaac's talking when he sh- when he would have been talking in the first one he, what's it called when they're bouncing off all the technical stuff isaac will talk about the technical stuff because that's his job <laughs> The uh, the regenerator creature that uh, that chases you throughout much of the game is also like way more fleshed out and both creepy and interesting narrative ways. I will say this though, playing on PC made the game a cakewalk. Makes makes the game a cakewalk. When you're doing keyboard and mouse, it's a lot easier to deal with the necromorphs than it was. Oh yeah, that than it was with a gamepad. <laughs> But yeah, just it's satisfying to Goomba stomp the Necromorph. Sure yes to Dead Space 2 remake, no to Dead Space 3 remake. Well, Bury here's the thing. thing. Let it die. Here's the thing. They are probably going to change it. They changed the first one. So. I don't I'm mind saying. that. Dead Space 2 is a great game and has plenty of opportunity to do exactly what they did with Dead Space 1. Dead Space 3 sucks. It's a it's an action game top to bottom and doesn't feel like there's no tension in it for me. Well, there's never tension when you're playing a co-op game. So. Yeah. Anyways, moving on, uh, there's now Tunic Plushie available, and as you can see, it is cute. That is awesome. I saw that, and it has little magnets in the hands so it can hold the shield and the sword. That's That's a cool little toy. Have you played it yet? <laughs> Have you played Tunic yet? Have you played Dark Souls Zelda yet? Because <laughs> that's basically what Tunic is. It's dark. It's Zelda it, married with Dark Souls. And a little bit of mist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you played it, TJ? Yeah, I played it. I played it last year when we were talking oh, about okay. the Game of the Year stuff. Okay. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I finally got around to it. <laughs> okay. I still like Super Lucky's Tale, so there. I haven't beaten it yet, but uh, but I will maybe get there someday. I haven't got, I've gotten halfway, and I just gave up because it got too, way too hard. Anyways, um, we're going to move on to game news now. We were going to talk about State of Play, but some stuff came up that sort of dwarfed it, so I'll be talking about it later. Uh, the first news item we're going to talk about is Next Civilization game officially announced by Firaxis. Kind of, sort of. Firaxis officially announced that a new Civilization game is in development at the studio. Revealed alongside the announcement that former CEO Heather Hazen will be the new studio head, Firaxis didn't confirm whether or not it would be the seventh in the mainline series or if it would be a spinoff of uh, Beyond Earth. Fans have been patiently waiting for the confirmation of a new entry for seven years, following the launch of Civilization VI in 2016. The studio has uh, since been at work with its other premier strategy franchise in the XCOM Chimera Squad, and most recently tried something brand new with Marvel's Midnight Suns, both of which are really, really good. If you haven't tried either of them, you should. 
Chimera Sprite is, is, is a nice little breezy, uh, you know, Saturday morning cartoon version of XCOM, but it's fun. Yeah. With the announcement only coming now without any mention of a release date, mechanics, or any other game details, it's likely that the new civilization is still years away. I'm going to guess 2024 or 2025. But it'll seemingly be for Axis's main focus going forward. The studio will be doing uh, so without one of its leading figures, however, as former creative director of the XCOM franchise and Marvel's Midnight Suns, Jake Solomon, has announced his departure from Firaxis. Um, I can see why they think it might not be Civilization 7, because they're still... It is, releasing. Civ 7. They showed a promo picture of Cleopatra with, like, a no, 7. That means nothing. That means nothing. So, anyways, uh, so if this is a Civilization 7... What do you think will be new features in it? Uh, I don't know. What was? Did anyone have any problems with six? Like, was there anything? It isn't necessarily still... problems. Although I will say this: I I wish you could kill religious units. What? Like, were there any glaring issues though? By the yes, end of the religious DLC units. People... I mean, you'd have Holly Selassie just sending all of his all of his uh, you know. Uh, missionaries and prophets and all that stuff into my territory, and there was nothing I could do about it except create my own. Huh. And everybody be converting to my religion. I hate that. I don't know. Scott, what would you want on like a, t- on like a wish list for Civ 7? I think I would like the uh, corporations that they had in Civ 4 back. Oh, yeah. I think a uh, satellite layer would be interesting if you could do like stuff with satellites in space, uh, you know, through like espionage and other things with it. Um, let's see. I mean, because they've they've done so much, it's it's hard to think of something that they haven't done. Well, um, um, maybe they'll allow you to colonize the solar system this time. That would be interesting. Yeah. Um. Also worth noting and not mentioned here is that Ed Beach, the the director of gameplay on Civ Six, is going to be directing this new the gameplay on this new one. So that's good. Uh, sucks to lose Jake Solomon. I hope he I hope he finds something worthwhile for himself because it sounds like uh, I don't know. He was like talking about the last the the last thing before this story was he was talking about uh, people asking him about XCOM and him not being able to tell them anything about it because he was still working on DLC for uh, Midnight Suns, and then this story came up and he said I'm out of I'm I'm done there. Well, here's the thing, <laughs> you know that civil here's the thing, civilization fans aren't that bothered by it because one and two were Sid Meier, uh, three was it Soren Johnson who was who was the lead developer. Trying to remember, but every almost every other civil, every civilization has had a new person, has had a new lead developer. I know Soren Johnson was one of them. I thought he did four, but yeah, it's been Jeff a Briggs. different. Oh no, no, Brian Re- Ryan Reynolds took over from Sid Mayer, and then Soren Johnson took over from from Brian Reynolds. John Schaefer took over from uh, from Soren Johnson. And by the way, I know Soren and John personally; they're friends. <laughs> I'm just saying, with Ed Beach at the helm, you have somebody that worked on most of Civ Six, handling much of the, handling the leadership of the next one. Well, here's the thing about Ed Beach. He's a Civilization fan. He's a Civilization fanboy. Civilization Six was basically the um, 
the uh, uh, civilization equivalent of the Sonic game that was developed by fans. Hmm. Well, that sounds like it's in good hands. It just it just bums me out because I love XCOM and I wonder if uh, Jake Solomon will do anything new. Hey Scott, you know this. I mean, when you played Civilization Six, did you feel like, wow, this is like some fans made a really good Civilization game? Yeah, I mean, each Civ game I think has been made by people that really loved and enjoyed the game. So no, but this is like this is like a fan game though. Civilization Six is like a fan fan game. I mean, you have Soren Johnson who admires it, and John Schaefer who admires it. Ed Beach and the others, they grew up playing it, and they're like fanboys. And there's, a, you know, we'd like to have these features in it, and this feature, and this feature. Yeah, because the, the the theme for Civ Six was about exploration, and so everything was kind of centered around that. I don't know what the theme of Civ Seven would be. Uh, you know, it's just I guess too early to tell. But By the way, um, the other thing is that um, remember, Civ Six was the first Civilization in a long while that came out with, and no one said this would be better with expansions. This needs to be this needs to be improved. No one thought that. <laughs> no, it, Civilization Six came out ready out of the box. That's true. We didn't miss certain things. Like I, I think in Civ Five, people were missing espionage for a long while, but uh, Civ Six had that in there, which was good. And then they introduced new things that were not in previous Civ games, like global warming, for instance. And, well, just 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 weather. I mean, yeah, okay, weather. Okay, and... so so um, I was looking this up, and here are some stuff that they suggest that could be a, a, that that civilization could have uh, more victory conditions. Uh, you have science, oh, like economic, religion, score, and yeah, I mean, and diplomacy. Yeah, I like to have more more victory conditions. Um, improving the ocean and river gameplay, and every civilization, and really every 4X game, has really struggled with ocean and river gameplay. I mean, maybe the one that didn't was Alpha Centauri, but um, you could win the game without ever having built a boat. That makes for an interesting uh, concept. What would it be like? Like, would it be too grim to create a civilization around the idea of, like, the geography drastically changes. The geography drastically changes as the uh, as the ages go on. Yeah, I mean, I'm not talking does that. And I'm not talking about like. Yeah, but I'm talking about civilization. I'm I'm not and I'm not talking about like the things where like your old structures become ruins for your new generations. I'm talking about like yeah, an entire river dries up and and you have to find a and, and that ta- city suffers for it. Or like, I know a game that did that. It was Anno 2070. Right. But I'm saying, what would that look like in Civ, and would you want that? I think well, I would like a Civ game that evolved your civilization drastically like that. You know, maybe you change leaders, or you change, you know, your looks, or your, your cultural things, and you really change how your Civ looks and acts, and maybe be more flexible than in other ones, maybe even more customizable. I could have sworn that um, one of them, actually, if you... Um, yeah, I mean, wasn't there a game in which if you used nukes, it would raise the uh, global warming of the thing and it would start yeah. cre- creating... I know one of them did that. Because I, I know in older ones, you would get pollution, like in the very first Not one. Not only pollution, but you'd also get uh, ocean raising. In Alpha Centauri, if that happens, you have uh, cities that can become 
water cities, you know. Right, right. Like, what if you had a city built on a coast because you played a a a sieve that I, was I, I, I can, suited to like, sailing, and then one of your cities was, was under was, ocean? Maybe it was Civilization Test of Time? Maybe it was one of the offshoots of Civilization that did that? I think it would be cool to do that in, like, a mainline Civ game where, like, environmental effects over the course of centuries, like, actually change the map. Hey, Scott, did you ever play Test of Time? I think so. The Activision spinoff? That's the one that introduced eco-terrorists and lawyers as as units. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. Maybe maybe Um, that's what they could introduce as lawyers. There's a unit (laughs) that Civ hasn't had, lawyers. (laughs) Uh, the Dan would love that. <laughs> another thing is that some of the, or they're always asking for which civilization never seems to get quite right. And that is better diplomacy. Yeah, we always have trouble with the AI. You know, either you abuse the AI or the AI acts like a psychopath. You know, it's just there's got to be a way to spend some money to get us some good AI. Imagine an AI like we were talking about the chat AI. Uh, thing if you had that kind of AI in Civ and you modeled it where you it, it remembers you or it, it has better thought processes of you know analyzing the situation around them uh, you know because it's like it's weird for a Civ to sit there mocking your army and you're about to launch a spaceship and win the space race and they don't seem to do anything to stop you from winning the tech race. Uh, it's like they don't seem to understand that that's what you're doing. Um, another one, and this is related actually, um, in which civilizations can be more distinct. Um, right now, the only difference between civilizations and the game are the the uh, you know the, the the unique abilities that they get, right? But, yeah. But humankind try to make it so that. We actually had different philosophy, you know, they would have different values, different philosophies and all that stuff. I didn't like humankind, but at least it tried something different to make the civilizations more unique. But they cheated, actually. They said, well, your civilization is not Egypt. And then it grows up to be the United States. You know. But I, you know what I would love to see is um, in some of the older civilizations, you know, sometimes if your cities rebelled, it would become a barbarian state or its own state. I would love to see that. I'd love to see the fact that you could have something like if you're England, you might piss off some of your colonies and they become the United States later in the game. Yeah, I remember that in older ones. I would conquer a country and half of the cities would turn into a a whole different Civ. Uh, I remember in Civ, I think it was Civ 4, was the, the, um, what was it? The vassal state got really badly abused. You would start conquering a Civ. And then it would vassal to another sieve, which would bring them into the war. You would finish them off, start fighting them, and then suddenly they would vassal themselves, and then you would finish them off, and then the next, and it would just be this chain of, of vassaling that just leads you to conquering the whole world. Unless you had a lot of money, you just buy the city. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You could do that in Civ 1. I remember doing that a lot. Civ 3. You could do it up to Civ 3. Okay. Just buy the city. So, yeah, you're mine now. Here's, here's a bunch of money. Yeah, I think they they stopped doing that in Civ 4. It was definitely up to, yeah, it was, was that was another mechanic that got abused. Actually, something I would like back is the city council from Civ 2. That was a really fun aspect of Civ 2 that was really made it a charming game. And I would like something like that, a, a, 
a city council that talks to you like that, and they talk to them, to each other as well. They interact with each other. And, yeah, just, and uh, Sid Mayer would always be the culture guy. Yeah. Um, the other thing which uh, that, that's being suggested uh, that uh, TJ brought up was uh, they should expand upon natural disasters. And not yeah. just, you know, global warming, but, you know, other stuff. Just make it more interesting. Like like a like a comet hits the earth. <laughs> I mean, what if you have a Pompeii level event where just like an entire area? Well, you do it. You do it in Civilization Six, but it's not it's it's not as devastating as it could be because basically, if you have a really large see, that's what I'm saying though. Is like you got you got to let me finish. What if you had a Pompeii level event? Where an entire area that is, that maybe even one or two civilizations were in just became volcanic rock that was like no arid land, no no rivers, and See, everyone but, had to work around that. But here's the thing: um, you know anything about you know Mount St. Helens, right? Yes. So Mount St. Helens was pretty devastating, but five years later there was already life back in the system, and by ten years you'd never know that anything had happened there. Remember, civilization goes on a different time scale than we do. Sure, um, but I'm saying, like, for a section of the of the game, that area is just rock, uh, volcanic rock. That's fertile farmland now. Um, but the thing is that you know, I think more of a psychological change could be good. You know, in which uh, it's just it, even just expanding upon it. You know. Anyways, um, I, I'm looking forward to Civilization Seven, even though I don't play much of Six uh, much anymore, which is why I haven't gotten the uh, the last batch of uh, leaders yet. Just been too busy with other stuff. And that's the other thing that I would like to see: um, the beginning of a civilization and the ending of a civilization session is always exciting, but the middle always is a slog. That's where they really have to work on civilization. Make the middle of the game less boring. I thought it was always the end game that was boring to people. Oh, no. The, really? No, the yeah, end game is the end game. You know, it's like you're finally – everybody's starting to attack everybody or do whatever, you know. Uh, the middle part of the game that's a slog. We're going to move on to the next item. Uh, go ahead, TJ. All right. Beyond Good and Evil 2 studio reportedly under investigation for unprecedented burnout and sick leave. From your game. We're talking about Beyond Good and Evil 2! <laughs> Remember that game? It's the, uh, it's, it's, it's the Skull and Bones before Skull and Bones. No, it's the it's 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 in the same room as Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. Yeah, that too. Uh, Ubisoft Montpellier the studio behind the extremely long and development beyond good and evil two is reporting facing upheaval as it grapples with a labor investigation into unprecedented levels of employee stress and sickness and the departure of its managing director. Let me, let's, we're, they're saying unprecedented. I mean, is that worse than team Bondi and LA noir? Wow. I mean, is it, is it worse than like standard Ubisoft? <laughs> no, no, well, here's the thing. Did you know anything about the development of L.A. Noir? Yes. That prick who ran it, who thought yes. he could scream and yell because he's the uh, he has you know, God. I 
uh, to think that something could be unprecedented levels beyond that. I mean, the they are horror stories, and 2K was shocked at what was going on there. Anyways, moving on. As reported by Ku or sorry, as reported by Kotaku, Ubisoft Montpellier, perhaps best known for its work on the Rayman games under former studio founder Michael Insel, or Mitchell Insel, who departed in 2020 amid claims of toxic behavior, is currently being investigated by Montpellier's inspection du travail. Travail. That's, that's French for work. Inspection du travail. Oh, my bad. Uh, inspection, inspection du travail. There we go. I did it. Uh, due to an unprecedented, due to an unprecedented, now I can't even speak English. Due to an unprecedented. That's what happens when you're of, in Quebec. See, that's what happens when you're in Quebec. <laughs> of uh, developers experiencing burnout and going on sick, sick leave. Kotaku says that the visit resulted in the hiring of a third party entity, which has now been tasked with interviewing Montpellier employees to provide a full report on the health and well-being of the studio teams. Something Ubisoft has now confirmed. See, it's that bad when the publisher itself says, yeah, there's something going on there. <laughs> Beyond Good and Evil 2 was first teased by Ubisoft in 2008, but wasn't heard of again until 2017, with new information on its progress arriving only sporadically since then. It's yet another troubled title for the embattled Ubisoft, which has only just managed to get the settlers out the door after a tumultuous half-decade of delays and is still struggling with to release Pirate Adventure Skull and Bones nearly 10 years after development. Yeah, I mean, I was actually, when I was looking through the, the store, it's like, oh, the Settlers New Allies, and I see all the negative reviews, and it's like, oh. I'll, I'll say this, I really like the Settlers series. I just wanted them to get it right, damn it. Settlers is really good. I mean, the series. Yeah. Uh... Everything's just going on with Ubisoft, isn't it? it it's a real shame because, like, there's a bunch of IP at Ubisoft that I wouldn't mind seeing come to come come back in reasonable format. It's well, now we know why Rayman's not coming back. Yeah, and it sucks to see how mismanaged everything is there. And the entire English-French language thing going on in Quebec is just killing the company, too, because now yeah. they spend all this extra money having everything be bilingual. Yeah. Um, what, I, I hit, what I saw in 2017, I was gossip. I said, that's not Beyond Good and Evil 2. What the hell is going on here? What the fuck is that? You could tell that it wasn't being run by Michael Ansel as... As toxic as he may have been, at least he knew how to write a good story. Yeah. And moreover, like, the most we've seen of Beyond Good and Evil 2 is that CG trailer from way, way back when, that, like, showed no gameplay, no, gave no concept of what we were doing. It was doing. just Paige just sitting there underneath an umbrella. Well, and also just, like, these, these, these scripted CG big money cutscenes that are just like, they tell you nothing about the fact that it's even a game, let alone that it's going to be, let alone that it's going to have gameplay. Like it's, I would love to see beyond good and evil come out someday 
or Beyond Good and Evil Two come out someday. I don't. Know. I don't. I don't I'd, know that. I don't know that I have faith that it's good. I, I don't know that I have faith in much of anything from movies. I'd rather a bad game never get released than, you know, if it's going to be a piece of shit. Why? Why even bother? By the way, uh, whatever reviews for a game, and there's the reviews for the Settlers New Allies. Whenever you have reviews with lines like, "They never even tried," and "This is honestly sad." That just stabs me in the heart because I want a good Settlers game, damn it. And I think the last one they did was a Settler 7. You know, there's – say what you want about Nintendo and its unwillingness to, like, actually play to its strength sometimes. But at the very least, they've never lost their way about what they think makes a game good and how to make it. Oh, they've had some stinkers. Please. Sure, but generally speaking, they put their employees first, they put their workplaces first, and they focus on their core tenets of like how their games should work and how to innovate in that. Space. Unless it's unless it's uh, Kid Icarus or, or Star Fox. Kid Icarus is a freaking beloved game. Kid Icarus it sucks. The, ga- the DS game was sucks. Awful. <laughs> yeah, Kid, uh, are you you're talking me? about you're talking about the one of the most desired. Re, uh, I get that. The game that they two. put out, the last Kid Icarus game they put out was awful, and they had it a was, special controller. That it was, was excellent. Awful. It was an excellent game that just required a little bit of extra hardware to play comfortably. Right now, Paul, wherever he is, is head, uh, face palming. Well, he can face palm only once because it's a good game. It <laughs> and then you had Star Fox Zero. Star Fox Zero is I will I will give that away. That could have been so much better, but I also think that it could be better if they did a remaster. Like, look, they just did Metroid Prime as a remaster, and look how like how much people loved it and how much. There's a lot of conspiracy it conspiracy theories going on about Metroid Prime remaster, though. Have you seen this? Some of the conspiracy theories have been swirling around it. Like about, what? Oh, there was uh, some stuff about. The direction Nintendo's going with the, um, and they're using it to mask some stuff. I forgot what it is. I have to Google search it. It's not worth looking up now because it's just same conspiracy theories. I just think that's a. I just think that's an example of a game that already that wasn't bad as was, and then they went and made it better in a lot of ways. Like the graphics look great, the controls are much better, and because you don't well, have a shitty controller anymore. And Kid Icarus is up. Kid Icarus Uprising's main problem was that it was the, yes, was, the constra- was the constraints of to which you had to work the controls. If then why you, release it on the fucking DS? Then what do you mean why release it on the DS? Why release it on a handheld if you have to create a special controller that's really bad to begin with? <sighs> it just is what it is. That's what their project was at the time, and they did what they did with what they had, but. Oh, what about that? Not the not the Metroid game that was released by uh, Team Ninja, or no Ninja Team, but uh, that other one, which was a spinoff of of uh, Metroid. Remember that one, uh, Metroid, in which you're controlling the, con- the soldiers of Metroid without any sort of thing from Samus. Uh, wasn't that? It was a handheld multiplayer game. I know what you're talking about, but I can't remember the name of it right now. Uh, Federation Force? Metroid yeah, Federation, Federation Force. Federa- Metroid Prime Federation Force, right. Um, 
in any case, like, I think that compared to Nintendo, groups like Ubisoft have kind of lost their way. It's not about making a great game anymore. It's about keeping the shareholders happy. Oh, and, no, Nintendo's tons of shareholders that they have to keep happy. Don't don't kid yourself with that one. I will and kid myself with that one because they still when, play to the beat of their own drum. Remember when um, the disaster was when their stock dropped and and uh, Kiyama had to uh, slice off a finger because uh, to to as penance. Remember when everybody was laying off all their company or all their employees at the beginning of this year, and instead of laying yeah. off its employees, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, employees to boost I'm their just, morale. I'm just saying, Nintendo isn't inflation. perfect. Doesn't make perfect games. So it, get that out of your head. But they get that do. Out of your head. I, I'm not saying they do that. Every game they make is perfect. I'm saying you know, they Star have a Fox far better be the business easiest model fucking game to make in the, the world. Right I mean. Star Fox should be the easiest game to make in the world right now. I mean, Space Sims are really hot right now. And just making it, you know, and forget about Star Fox being a rail shooter, just make it a regular space game. It doesn't even have to be overly complicated. It would make millions. I mean, People they tried once, technically. They well, did. They have to do better. And and people didn't like it, so they went back to the old way. So we were talking about Ubisoft. <laughs> What I'm, I mean, I'm still gonna stick with that. Is that like Ubisoft has lost its way? It doesn't know how to make good games anymore. It only because knows every how game to... is the same right now. It's an every open ga- world. It's almost every Ubisoft game coming out is an open world game with a lot of uh, icons on a map and uh, territory control. Boom, that's it. They're they're that's stuck true. in the attitude of if it ain't bro- broke, don't fix it, or they it think it's not broken. Yeah, because people buy these games. See, that's the problem. If uh, please, everybody out there, just for one year, do not pre-order anything. And I mean, it's not a problem that's it's not a problem that's solely confined to Ubisoft. Ubisoft is just one of the ones that's failing yeah, Ubi- the hardest, Tremont. No, but here's the thing: Ubisoft, uh, all the other developers make other games, make other types of games. Ubisoft makes the same game over and over and over again, and when they don't, it's fucking skull and bones, and they still go back to the map with icons. We'll get there, but like. 2K, or not 2K, uh, WB Games right now is doing something that pisses me off, and we'll get there, but... You know what? And the thing is, I'll bet you anything that Beyond Good and Evil 2 is going to be yet another open-world game with icons on the map, and you have to control territories. That's what it seemed like from the 2017... That's why I'm so disheartened by the Settlers, because it is not that kind of game. It is a... It is a... um, Oh, what do they call them again? City Builder. Yeah, and the thing about settlers and all the previous settlers was that you're city building, and occasionally had the invaders, but basically it was seeing how complex you could get your city. Yeah, because you had to you had to organize all these systems. You know, are you going to mine the rock? You have to send the rock to the uh, to the smelter. You have to take the smelter, make the uh, blah 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 blacksmith and all that. So, you know, all these systems that you had to balance. That was the entire game. It was great. Basically, it was, yeah. Um, what was the name of that free Microsoft XBLA game again that used avatars for it? Uh, it was basically a, a, a much better version of that. Oh, God, I forgot the name of it. Anyways, uh, we're going to move on. So we're going to talk about the state of play. And I was looking and people gave it a C. And I can understand why, because there wasn't really much there that was, oh, my God, Wow. 
So uh, let's let's talk about the obvious one. Um, finally, have some gameplay for Kill the Justice League. This this is what I was about to get at. Kill the Justice League killed any interest that I had in that game with that last trailer. It was basically a Borderlands game, folks. It was it was DC's version of uh, Marvel's no, Adventures. It wasn't. But, it was Marvel. No, it wasn't like Marvel's Avengers. It's going to be more like Borderlands. But even so. I mean, it, <laughs> you had all these characters that have fucking gear score attached to them. Yeah. You're just like, but get out of my the, face with that shit. I, I'm the, sick of that. Here's the one thing you can cling on to. It's still developed by Rocksteady. And Rocksteady knows how to make those how to make a fun action game, or at least fun action. We don't know what's wrapped around it, but at least they know how to do that. Were you worried that you wouldn't be able to play the character that has guns? Don't worry, they all have guns now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> King Shark running around with a gun, fucking flying through the air. I hated that. <laughs> I hated everything about that tra- that trailer that we saw. It it's sucked so bad. I didn't hate everything. I liked the story. It's I hate coming out May 16th. the gameplay. Coming out May 16th. At least you have, a, you have a date to circle and see what the reviews say. I'm not interested in getting killed in Justice League. I mean, I had some mild interest because it was Rocksteady and, you know, we'll see what happens. What a weird thing for Rocksteady, who is so good at that stuff. They've been awesome at it for years, and then they do that. (laughs) It was disappointing. It was disappointing to so many. And I'm not even alone in that. There were so many people that were disappointed with that trailer. Scott, were you disappointed with that trailer? The only thing I was interested in was uh, Baldur's Gate 3 uh, out of release date. We'll discuss that later. Um, You know, let's uh, skip ahead and uh, talk about uh, Street Fighter 6. They they showed three new, well, two old characters and one new one. Uh, They showed Zangief, they showed Cammy, and they showed a new character named Lily. What's old is new? Zangief and Cammy have pants for the first time ever. (laughs) And quite frankly... I think that Zangief has been boring to me for the 28 years that he's been around in Street Fighter 2. They actually made me want to play Zangief in Street Fighter 6. He looked awesome. Like, Zangief was always just muscles and anger in all of the old games. That's like his two biggest plot points, is muscles and anger. (laughs) He actually had showmanship. Like, they leaned way hard into the pro wrestling aspect of him in this one. He actually had, like showmanship they're leading to a pro wrestling thing on every character it seems like like this man had swagger he like lifts the kick like there's a pot there's a spot where like he does a super and he lifts the opponent up in the air and he like mugs for the camera and goes jackhammer and then does the jackhammer throw and it's like that is the kind of shit i'm here for like his super where he like gets ready to do the atomic uh the atomic buster and then just gives the guy a disrespectful kick in the ribs right before he does it it's you think maybe ed boone visited the offices one day there is so much style in street fighter 6 it's oozing out of every character every facet of this game and i love it like it's so good that they made a character that is boring and difficult to play as Zangief. Like, I actually want to try, give him a go on day one just to see what I can do with him, because he looks fun. Uh, we're also going to talk about... Um, Sony was basically showing off their PS4 t- VR 2 titles. One of them is Before Your Eyes, which comes out on May 10th. Uh, then Foglass and Green Hell. 
Uh, Before Your Eyes is actually a webcam game. Uh, I don't know if you know it, in which you have to stare into your web camera, and every time he closes your eyes, it moves you forward into your through your life, because basically you're watching your life flash before your eyes before you die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of people that have loved Before Your Eyes and think it's one of the better indie games to have come out in a few years. The problem with it is that it is also very fidgety, and it'll yeah. think you moved your eyes when you didn't move your eyes. So hopefully the PSVR 2 fixes that issue, that it doesn't, you know, think you closed your eyes when you didn't. Having, I actually reviewed the PSVR 2 this last week, and its eye tracking is an impeccable feature. Okay, well, they did a very good job with it. So maybe before your eyes will be improved by that. Yeah, I think so. Um,. The one, one of the more interesting of uh, the ones we saw in that showcase of PSVR games was, uh, what is it, Journey Journey to Foundation, which is apparently based on an Isaac Asimov series? Okay. Well, the Foundation series is the name of his series. Right. And this one's just called Journey to Foundation, which is based off of that series from what I understand. I think it's actually and, an actual uh, book. It's supposed to be a space action rpg in which like you it, it gave me some like the the outer worlds vibes but, but with all the but without all the corporate snark no it's just it's um so yeah uh it's the journey to foundation is uh original title it's gonna be based on all the books yeah it looked fun it looked interesting i like space stuff in vr because it, it gives us an opportunity to interact with like technology that that doesn't exist in our time. Right. It looks like it's going to be a good time, and it looks like it's going to be interesting to like interact with and play with and shoot. Uh, like we'll have all sorts of high space or high high fi space tech shooties. I love that stuff. I don't know what to make of the Foglands. Um, it's it reminds me of um, the Secret World MMO in a way. Yeah, it was based on Cthulhu. This one is a lot of maybe Slenderman because the main character looks like Slenderman. I like revolvers in VR as well. They're such an interact. Uh, they're such a fun interactive weapon in VR. Um, want to talk about uh, so the uh, Lifefall DLC actually came out, I think, right? Because I heard that people are having problems with it because the patch is out today, but it. the actual expansion comes out tomorrow. Okay. I know that people are having troubles deep downloading it, or something wrong was going on with it. I think they, they got overwhelmed by downloads. Hmm. I can see that, because there's a lot of people invested in that game, and they're probably taxing their servers trying to get it out to everybody. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the way uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake. They showed some gameplay. Yeah. The, the gameplay looked good too, but like, they finally showed Krauser, which is one that one thing that a lot of folks were nervous about because Krauser's scenes in Resident Evil 4 are considered some of the weakest parts of the game. Um, he looked less buff and cartoonish in the, in the remake, which I guess that's like par for the course with a lot of stuff. Well, they're working with a palette that's more than 256 colors now. Yeah. But even then, they look, it looked like they slimmed him down and 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 uh, made his face a little bit more like realistic. And uh, he uh, he just looks like a normal serial soldier dude, as opposed to like the cartoonishly muscular uh, 
angry man that was in the original. I um, just hope they keep the campiness. Yeah, same. Um, more importantly, they announced they t- they finally confirmed that the mercenaries uh, extra mode is going to be coming back to a Resident Evil Four remake. Which everybody loves the mercenaries. It's a it's one of those things like that people have latched on to since uh, they did it so well in Resident Evil Four the first time. Um, it's a it's a mode in which you pick one of the one of the the characters that appears in the game. Like in the original, they had uh, Leon, Ada, uh, Wesker, uh, Krauser, and one and Hunk, and uh, it's just you survive for as long as you can against wave after wave of zombies and uh, see if you can rack up as many points as possible. I like it. It's cool. And uh, it's fun to see that it'll be coming back to the remake because it adds more replayability to that game. So humanity, um, I want them to know that the reason why Lemmings was so charming was that there are cartoonish things I didn't mind if you said, oh, screw this, I'm going to finish it, I'm going to make their heads explode and, and try again. Humanity is horrifying. I I trust Enhance. They do a, good, a lot of good work. They made, they made Res Infinite and they made Tetris Effect. Which yeah, it's fucking, it's fucking horrifying. <laughs> They're using actual people for lemmings. Yeah, they also give them little lightsabers. Um, it's just, it's just that so game was all sorts of... That game was all sorts of things. It looked all sorts of creepiness. That's what I'm saying. I want I want to play it. I want to see how it goes because like Enhance has some really good and interesting concepts. Yeah, I'm just picturing this is where um the na- uh, the na- logical extension of what was happening in Inside. You know, Maybe. Blade Ed's inside. This is this is inside to the nth degree. There were no there were no uh, cute celestial corgis in uh in in Inside. Yeah, well, there's no giant testicle monsters in, in, in humanity either, but still, it's... That we've crazy. seen so far. <laughs> oh, dear God. There are golden robots. Yeah. Actually, that sort of reminds me of um, of at the world's end a little bit. But still, it is just friggin' creepy. It looks very odd, but I, I'm way interested because of Enhance. I love Enhance. Listen to this. Play alone, Shiba Inu, charged with commanding massive marching crowds to the Golden Store. They're fucking Pikmin. Mm-hmm. Thing about Pikmin is that Pikmin are not people. There's a reason why the develop. Oh God, Miyamoto. Did Miyamoto make uh, Pikmin? There's a reason why Miyamoto didn't choose to make them people. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Like I, I, I'm into the game. I think it's supposed to be purgatory. I have no idea. Uh, on the opposite on the opposite scale, you have Tachia, which is a pretty um, physics-driven sandbox. It's like uh, Sony said, okay, well, it's not done by Sony, but sort of like someone said, okay, we saw what Grounded did. Let's make something that's cuter and more more friendly and open and less spiders. I think it's multi-platform. I know it's going to be on Steam. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be... I think it's going to be consoles and on Steam right now. I don't know if it's going to be on older consoles, but I do know that it's going to be, uh, at the very least, PS5 and Xbox Series X. You know what? I think it was first shown on an Xbox showcase. Did it? 
I don't remember. I will say this. At least you get to play your own ukulele. Yes. Yeah. That's fun. It looks charming. Um, Wayfarer. The demo's out now. Wayfinder, I'm sorry. Wayfinder, the demo's out now. I don't remember this one from the... Oh, I remember it. It's yet another Monster Hunter sort of thing. Oh, okay. I think. It just gives me that vibe of Monster Hunter. It's okay. Airship Syndicate, huh? Oh, it's from uh, Digital Extremes is publishing it. Yeah. The folks who do uh, Warframe. Yep. And uh, Airship uh, Airship Syndicate, who did Battle Chasers Night War. They did in Rune King, too. Did the Rune King as well. Yeah. That would be interesting, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, it, <laughs> this might be interesting, maybe. They did Darksiders Genesis, too, by the way. I know, the bad one. <laughs> uh, let's not talk about Naruto versus... I don't really care. <laughs> finally, we'll talk about Baldur's Gate 3 is finally getting a release date, August 31st. It's going to be on PC, PS4, and PS5. And there is a lot of discussion of why it's not on the Xbox Series X. It's because the Xbox Series S can't handle it. So one of the biggest things about it is that they're doing couch co-op again where two players can take on a Oh, that was always character. the plan. That was always the plan. Uh, yeah. Was Did they confirm couch co-op on... I, I know they... Well, I don't know. I know they had co-op on PC. I don't know if they had local... Oh, no. Um, they had, yeah. So I would imagine couch co-op could be on, on console, yeah. But Although, yes, that was a bit, Steam Deck, maybe, maybe they, they're doing it because of Steam Deck, too. Well, that was the biggest thing, though, is that to me, anyways, is that you put this game on PS5. I want to be able to play. Me and me and Sam are already playing through Divinity: Original Sin 2 and uh, playing a couch co-op uh, campaign through that. And I was like, I guess we're gonna have to wait for it to see if Baldur's Gate comes to console eventually. And then they drop this news, and I'm like, yay! Because not only do we get to play the game, we get to play it together, and we get to play a, a full campaign through it. As so, each of our own character. Yeah, so let's talk back about the Xbox. Uh, there's now been a lot of discussion that the Xbox Series S is holding back the Xbox Series X. Um, and and Actually, Larry, let me put it this way. It was a conversation like two years ago. Now it's revived again. And Larian Studios stepped forward themselves to say that there's nothing devious at play. There's no exclusivity deals. It's simply that they they are having trouble getting the the local co-op to work on Xbox, and they need more time to get it ready. It's fine. I mean, it's I have it on on P, on Steam. You know, I don't know if it's well. It always Baldur's Gate three always seemed like a PC game to me. It's sort of like oh yeah, and uh, console too. Sort of like Age of Empires two. Yeah, and I can agree with that. I will say that Divinity Original Sin 2 plays very well on a gamepad. Well, like I said, you have the Steam Deck now, so I'm pretty sure that they're uh, ramping up the ability to do it on a PC as well. Yeah. Uh, Blumhouse's new gaming division will focus on indie budget games. Uh, this comes from PC Gamer. Blumhouse, the production studio behind legendary films like Get Out, Megan, and Tooth Fairy starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> Why would they include that one? That's like 10 years old, isn't it? 
is getting into video games. The new company's new vision, Blumhouse Games, will partner with independent game developers to bring their creative vision to live via original horror-themed games. The new games will fe- uh, the new games division will focus on indie budget titles, which translates to. Oh, by the way, wait a minute, Scott. Was there anything you wanted to talk about about Baldur's Gate Three? I'm just glad that it's finally coming out of early access and has an official release date, and looking forward to seeing what their final product looks like. What did you think of the trailer? It looked good. I'm glad Minsk has been the game. Uh, the new games division will focus on any budget titles, which translates to games with a budget of under $10 million in keeping with its spirit of the, its film business. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blumhouse. Uh, well, I'll, I'll make the commentary right after. Uh, the company is named Zach Wood, who has games like Ho Ho Come, Twisted Metal, and Prey Moon Crash under his belt as president, and ex Sony Finance and Operations uh, Executive John Schechler as CFO. Blumhouse says it will re- focus on original games, but it doesn't mean its own stable of horror properties is off limits. Yeah. A budget under ten million, that's basically what they do with all their films, too. Blumhouse loves to make blockbusters and cheapo horror films and all that stuff, so I'm not surprised that they would want to, you know, make games that are low budget, because that's what they do. Um and this isn't the first uh film production company because um Annapurna's been doing this for a while now. And you can tell an Annapurna game because it'll always have a strong script, really good voice actors. And gameplay question mark? Like uh give me an example. Um the uh the after the Artful Escape is one of their games. So it's twelve hmm. minutes. Was it ten ten minutes or twelve minutes was the game? Twelve, minutes. 12 minutes. Okay, twelve minutes, right. So you had people like uh Daisy Ridley in twelve minutes, you know. Um So Blumhouse. Yeah. <laughs> Jason Blum, what's to say? But I actually am interested in this because, you know, you could always have another Devolver Digital. Yeah. I mean, or as you, like, they have access to a lot of resources and can put together a lot of interesting stuff the way that Annapurna does. Like, that's one of the things that gives Annapurna so much power is that it has, it's so much more than video games. They have uh, access to a Oh, well, they're an actors, indie film company, yeah. And actresses and, and resources. And I have to imagine that Bloomhouse will use their resources in a similar manner. I know, you'll have people like Ian Zierling or, or uh, oh, God, what was the name of oh, Casper Van Dien? <laughs> but uh, the thing is that um, what I would like Blumhouse to do would be what Annapurna does, and that is, you know, Look for developers who are making games and say, oh, that looks good. We'll back you. Um, I don't know if you know this, but The Artful Escape was a Kickstarter project that failed badly. Annapurna came in and said, we like what you're doing there. Here's the money. Go do it. <laughs> I mean, it's like- I'm glad because I would have never wanted to miss uh, The Artful Escape. That was a great experience. Mm-hmm. You're saying, Scott? I was wondering if they were going to team with other indie developers, or are they like, are they going to? Pu- oh, no, they're a publishing house. They're going to, um, you know, be finding uh, games to publish. So there's definitely a lot of indie groups out there. I know uh, that the, the Shadow, it's like Zoji Games is doing a new Shadow Gate game or Kickstarter, and I think it's going to be smaller than that. Stuff wow. like Ape Escape, you know in which they're going out for individual developers, you know, 
and see what they're make working on and they say we like that we'll hire you a team of maybe like 10 other people and you can make this indie game for us that sort of thing yeah, this, uh, yeah, I know there's, uh, Frost who did, uh, Rise of Third Power and then Matthias Lind for Ching Decos, so those might be good ones. Uh, imagine a game based on Megan. <laughs> that would be delightfully creepy. Yeah, it's, it looks very creepy. I mean, they, they make games like The Black Box, and Dark Skies, and The Deep House, you know, all these cheesy horror films, but you know what? I'm going to tell you, oh, oh, wait, I just realized it would make a perfect video game. It sucks as a, as a movie series, but as a video game, Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. That's basically Five Nights at Freddy's, really. <laughs> oh, no, wait, I just remembered. You know what other film they made that, that I think people are begging as a matter of fact, I think people were begging for this when they heard that Blumhouse was going to make horror films. You mentioned a video game based on The Purge. Because the movie is a video game unto itself. Yeah. <laughs> that. I don't know if that's going to happen anytime soon based on the way that they're talking about the games they want to make. But like that, if imagine if Saber Interactive, and specifically the team that did the Evil Dead game, got their hands on a Purge <laughs> game. Yeah, they they also have one particular director that they use over and over and over again. That's Rob Zombie. Imagine Rob Zombie making a video game. The Lords of Salem, the video game. Yeah. Oh, wait, Get Out. Let's let's make a game based on Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> or Oculus. Hey, you know, Oculus could be a really evil version of Mist. Yeah, I really could. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do with their properties and, and how they handle this. It'll be very interesting to see if they do, like, if they go the Annapurna route or if they get a little bit more action-intensive or, or do, I don't know. Like, Make, I, I, make a I'm video very, game version of Happy Death Day. Do it. I'm very curious to see how they, uh, I'm very curious to see what their opening move is and, like, what their opening games will be. Like I said, it's nice to have um, developers like Annapurna and Devolver Digital, you know, these these studios that look for play off the beaten path games, which are really really fun, but would never get never get published. Like Ape Out, who would make that? Who would publish that? Only Devolver Digital would publish that, and only hmm. and only Annapurna would do stuff. Like twelve minutes and and the after and the after artful escape. Anyways, we're gonna move on. Uh, to, uh, Scott, take the next one. Okay. Game breaking Legend of Dragoon bugs are ruining the classic JRPGs. Return. This is from Games Radar. Sony's beloved PS1 JRPG Legend of Dragoon is finally making its long-awaited return on modern consoles. But while fans are ready to celebrate game-breaking, I'm sorry, while fans are ready to celebrate, game-breaking bugs and glitches are spoiling the party. Legend of the Dragoon was a late-era PS1 role-playing game from Sony's first-party Japan studio. The game saw mixed reception at launch, failing to measure up to the broad appeal of Final Fantasy games coming around at the same time, but it eventually found its fans and took on a cult classic status. 
fans who are excited to finally see Legend of Dragoon revived as part of the PS Plus uh, February lineup. The excitement built as players learned the game would feature trophy support and it would be available for standalone purchase, not just as part of the PS Plus subscription. Sony even did the right thing by giving the game away for free to people who already bought it on PS3, PSP, and Vita. The excitement's all coming crashing down now that players have actually had a chance to play the game. There are visual glitches like odd pixel lines, audio bugs that are cutting voice lines short, threads running down, all the bugs are starting to coalesce, and it does not paint a rosy picture for the version's playability. Even worse, using Dragoon Magic, one of the game's core combat mechanics, consistently causes battles to lock up. You can technically still beat a battle with a spell by using it at the very end, but then you're going to get stuck in inescapable black screen. It seems this is mostly a problem with multi-target Dragoon Magic, but trying to figure out which spells will and won't crash your game is no way to play an RPG. For now, players are hopeful for a patch, but the first impression for this release has not lived up to the expectation of retro fans, and that really is very disappointing to hear. I you know, wish Sony could take care of RPG fans better than they do. So, there is some news on this as of today. Yeah, they, they, they sent out a, a, a patch about eight hours ago for PS4 and PS5. The major problems, I don't know if it takes care of all the problems. I hope it takes care of the game-breaking problems, though. Um, my understanding is that they patched up and got rid of the soft locks that were happening, so that now the game can be played without a issue of the game freezing up. Um, yeah, like Legend of Gra- Legend of Dragoon is surprising in and of itself to see get new life on on PlayStation Plus, but uh, I'm glad that they took the time to patch it up and make it better because. Oh. Uh, now, I wonder if it's um, sort of like a test to see what the interest would be in a remake or just a reboot. Yeah, um, it would be it would be extremely fun to see this game get some sort of remaster or reboot because it was one of the more interesting and outlandish RPGs of its time. The the combo attack system and then like the the transformation system. There were so many cool things in this game that no other RPGs were doing when when it ha- when it came out, and uh, it it withstood the test of time and still has a lot of fans. I am one of them. I love this game. I played it. I I still had no wait. I don't have my copy anymore. No. But, you know what's really weird is that they never released a patch notes. So what happens is on the Reddit they've been talking about what's been fixed, like the audio bugs have been resolved, the blue visual glitches are gone. Uh, someone said, can confirm, updated, and use Final Burst, Blossom Storm, and National Drain in a row, no soft lock. Yeah. That was part of the problem, is that the, uh, games, the games, uh, like, the, the magic when you're in Dragoon form on any of the characters was really taxing the game. I think, you know, the patch fixed up a lot of stuff really fast. So I'm wondering if there wasn't some line of code or some lines of code that were corrupted that was causing this, and all it was was basically looking for the corrupted lines. Doesn't seem like there's a like it doesn't seem like there was say a porting problem or a you know what I'm talking about. 
something that was, you know, you're, you're transferring a game from PS3 or whatever to PS4, PS5, and you have problems because the hardware is incompatible. It seems like, no, it seems like there was just maybe a, a problem in, in the code that is easily fixed, you know, like switching a button from one to zero. Yeah. Uh, and, like, I'm seeing across Twitter, people have been playing the game since uh, since this patch came out, and a lot of people are reporting that uh, the issues that they were having before were gone. So, And it's I'm really nice that, that they... I'm sorry, it's, I, I just want to say it's really nice that they decided to sell the game instead of having you to sign up to uh, PlayStation Plus just to get it. You know, it's like, it's just a game you can purchase. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. I uh, I actually might end up picking this one up eventually. I like this game a lot. But did you get it on PS3, Vita, or PSP? Because it'll remember that you owned it and you can get it for free. Nah, I didn't get it on any of those systems. Ah. I had I had the original copy for a long time. <laughs> see, pop in your PS1 disc and see what happens. <laughs> that would be. Can you imagine if it said, "Oh, I recognize this. I'm downloading the game for you." That's that a, that's dope. a. That's what the 360 does. Uh, the uh, Xbox does when it, you put in a 360 game or or Xbox games. Like, oh, I recognize this. Downloading it for you. Uh, it's really sad that so many games are now delisted. Do we talk about this? That there's a whole list of Xbox 360 games that are now delisted and you can't buy anymore. Honestly. That is a shame. Yeah. You can download them, but on the other hand, some of them are like Portal 2. It's like, oh, you can get the Xbox One version. You know, um, but there's a lot of um, let's see here it is. 46 of them are being delisted, and you know, like the Assassin's Creed games, who cares because they have remasters. But what really annoys me, Blue Dragon is being delisted. Yeah, I don't care if Dark Souls is delisted. Jet Set Radio is being delisted. You know, and uh, by the way, um, this these were delisted like two weeks ago, so don't don't even bother trying to get them before they do it. I mean, a lot, a lot of them are no law. You know, you could just get elsewhere. But Kodor Two is delisted. Yeah, it's a big bummer. And Plus is delisted. That's depressing. Kind of try go being delisted is not a bummer. It's like finally. <laughs> I mean, no one's gonna care if Dark Souls is delisted because guess what? You can get the remastered version. Some of these games you'll never be able to get, like Age of Swing. Do you know Age of Swing? Yes. So for those who don't know, Age of Swing was a free XBLA game that was released early in XBLA, not at launch, but um, basically what it was was a bunch of Microsoft employees who were making their own uh, shooter, you know, their own uh, bullet hell shooter horizontal shooter and Microsoft yeah let's just release it free for people it was a nice little gift hmm if, if something like Limbo is delisted who cares but Lost Odyssey was delisted which is impressive yeah I I still have I bought Lost Odyssey I still have it on my system I have I have yet to actually play it past the first part and I, I keep on. Everybody keeps on telling me how great that game is. It's, it's a good one. 
I like that one, and I like uh, there's another one that came soon after it from the same group of people called Mist Walker. Uh, yeah, it was Blue, it was Blue Dragon. Yeah. No, was, not that was, one. Oh. Um, the last. Oh, rem- oh, the last oh, remnant. Eternal Sonata. Eternal Sonata. No, the last remnant. Oh, okay. I haven't played uh, Eternal Sonata in a while. I want to play that again. The last remnant was really dope and had a very interesting combination of strategy and uh, and JRPG style. Did you play Eternal Sonata? Eternal Sonata? No, I didn't. I it's played it. It's a depressing it. game. It's a depressing game. I like the, your, I like the combat, Ch- though. You're playing Chopin on his deathbed, and the entire game is his death dreams. And in the middle of each thing, you get the game stops and starts talking about certain pieces, like um, talking about how he made the raindrop prelude, and it was because he was in he was in the Bahamas, and it was he was there to uh, you know, improve his tuberculosis. Unfortunately, it was raining all the time, which only made it worse. And the sound of the rain just made him depressed, so he made the uh, raindrop prelude. It is a very depressing game. I know, it's great combat, yes, Scott, but still. Yeah, like you said, it has a depressing mood. Did Did either of you ever play Blue Dragon? Play what, Blue Dragon? No. Oh, you gotta play that. That is, uh, that is, when I, uh, Blue Dragon is almost a parody of JRPGs. It's a great game, but it's like Mistwalker took all the cliches, all the cliches, and put it in one game. I will say this, though, there's a plot twist in the middle of the game, which I did not see coming. Some good humor in it, too. If you ever get a ch- a, 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 any way to play Blue Dragon, do it. They actually released a version of Blue Dragon on the DS, too. Microsoft did, that is. And Blue Dragon was one of the only games to really sell Xbox 360s. People bought Xbox 360s just to play Blue Dragon. Japan. Hmm. Uh, look for our show notes at GamingPodcast.net, along with industry news and our gaming history articles. You enjoy your feedback, comments on our blog at GamingPodcast.net. Also, hit us up at Facebook.com slash GamingPodcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes. I do comments. You can find me on Twitter at John Falcon. You can find me at Johnny Chugs. You can find me at Charter Moore. We'll see if Twitter still exists by next week. Yep. You're just going. What 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 what's going wrong with Twitter this week? <laughs> Anyways, we will see you next week. Bye bye. Happy gaming, everyone. Have fun. Be cool. Play game, Joe.